heart will sing no other name but that of Jesus. Which means the essence of who I am is after Him. His presence is the greatest of all. Well, I'm glad to be with you this morning. Been out, as you know, for a couple of Sundays. Uh, was given opportunity to preach and teach in Uganda, among some South Sudanese and Ugandans, and then some Zimbabweans. And so grateful to be able to go on behalf of Jesus Christ and you, our church, and everywhere I went, they were saying, send my greetings back to Meadowbrook. And so I'm doing so, sending those greetings uh, from the church in Africa to you. And they're very encouraged by you and your support for missions around the world. This is a group of guys that we first were teaching uh, this is the first of this um, year and a half, two-year process with them. They are South Sudanese and Ugandan pastors and church planners. Uh, when we were beginning to work in communities and trying to uh, bring about some, some training to local leaders who could then take that and multiply it in communities, when we began that process, we recognized that God was going to begin planning churches from the result of those um, sessions with people, and then we recognized that there were not pastors who were equipped and trained to lead the church biblically, and so we believed that the Spirit of God was calling us not to just engage the community that they might be healthy in body, soul, and spirit, but that we might also bring along some teaching specifically to pastors that they might be able to teach and communicate God's truths and lead the church in the principles of God's word. And so uh, about two years ago, we began training pastors around the world uh, to give them opportunity to have what you and I take for granted. I take for granted the library that I have in my office, but these people have not a single resource. I take for granted the dozen-plus Bibles that I have in various translations and languages, and yet they, some of them, had not even a Bible. If they're going to preach, they have to borrow a Bible, especially since they ran from South Sudan with no possession. They stayed the bush at night uh, because the rebels in the, mil in the military were fighting in their communities, and they recognized we can't go home. And so they just ran into Uganda to the refugee camps or in a neighboring place. And uh, so when we gave them compliments of Meadowbrook, uh, study Bibles, it was a great moment for them. Some of them just blessed the Lord because they've been praying for a Bible and God provided it through you. And then we began to teach them about cross-references and in-notes and footnotes and uh, commentary that's available in study Bibles and topical indexes and word searches. We we shared from the very beginning of the Bible that said imitation leather all the way to the very back that was like the, the map of the New Testament and everything in between we were sharing with them. And it was a great discovery for them. And then we equipped them in how to take God's Word and begin to learn it and know its truths and then to communicate that. Now, if you're a seminarian, you know that that's hermeneutics and homiletics, big words that just simply mean you can understand what the Bible says, and you can communicate it in a way that people can understand it. Now, what's exciting to me about this is that we bring people along with us. I could teach those classes no problem and facilitate the lessons without any trouble. My whole life is dedicated to that. But I brought two guys with me, uh, David Clow and Joe Gilchrist. David's the one in the middle. He's a, a guy that works on elevators all over this region to keep you from getting stuck in between floors. And if you do get stuck, he's the one that rescues you. 
Uh, so I had an elevator technician and I had a store manager of a business that has multiple locations, uh, both of those very bright people, but none of them, neither one of them had ever preached a message in their life, yet they were teaching preachers how to preach. Now, well, how does that happen? Well, the Spirit of God does great and wondrous things, doesn't He? It's my job to equip the saints for the work of service, so I spent a couple of months equipping them and readying them for that moment, and man, did I ever see the Spirit of God shine through them. I can remember stepping back and listening to Joe facilitate a lesson on homiletics, on preaching delivery, and Joe, I, you don't know this, but I was chuckling to myself thinking, my goodness, here's a man that's never preached a message in his life, and he's teaching people how to preach with greatness and doing it so well. I was so excited about what the Spirit of God was doing in them. And both of them are hooked. They both said, uh, I'll be back. And so I'm excited for that and excited for others that do that. Not only did they facilitate, uh, like what you see in the slides where they're just showing and teaching uh, one another. They're, they're going in as learners as I do and as communicators of truth. The lessons go on beyond the classroom, whether it's outdoors or indoors, and they go on at the table where we're just eating with our new friends and beginning some lifelong relationships that go all the way through eternity, and just grateful for the opportunity that we had. Then you see the next slide that's coming up is what we were doing is teaching in a way, facilitating so that they could grab the insights here. They're taking a principle of God's truth and they're learning how to dig out the truth from God's word and they're making notations about that because we always take a pencil to the Bible when we're reading it and we're making notes as we're going along. We call it highlighting and then explaining, making an application statement and a response to God, H-E-A-R. So we're teaching them that so that they can discover the truths on their own because soon we're heading back to Gadsden and they're going to be there. So they need to know how to do all these things so we give them real practical time to dig into that and sort of have a safety net under them if they need some help. And then we also prompted them to lead the whole group. And so they were very much practiced in learning how to take the truth from God's Word and then to be able to communicate that uh, to others. So when they're back in their churches or in the plantings of churches, they'll be well-equipped for what God would have. And this is just the first session. There's about six others to come. And so we're grateful that Meadowbrook has that kind of vision. Then those guys left and went home, and they, David and Joe were... Uh, back here last Sunday, they were coming back in, and I went into Zimbabwe with three people. Uh, the one on the next to me in the white shirt is Moses. He's a great leader in South Sudan and has been instrumental in seeing many churches planted. Juma is like my Timothy. He's a 26-year-old young man that I've been investing in for about three or four years, and uh, just consider him to be my son in the faith and nurturing him so that he could be a great proclamator of God's truth and leader in the church. And the last guy, you probably can't see his face too well because obviously they are very dark in color and my uh, iPhone didn't take a very good picture there. Even I look like I'm African, don't I? But anyway, that last guy is Bulin. You might know him if you were here back in 2009 in the first war that was taking place in our lifetime. Uh, Sudan had not divided to the Sudan and South Sudan. It was one huge country, and the Muslims from the northern section of that were infiltrating down into the southern part where Bulin and his family lived, and they were really trying to stamp out Christianity, and they wanted to break apart every infrastructure that was there, including the schools and the roads and, 
It was a horrendous uh, 30-year period for them. Uh, Bulin lost most of his family to that war, and he actually was brought into the United States. He wanted to learn uh, in our education system how to be an administrator. He has a business degree right now, and his purpose was to get educated in the States and then get back to South Sudan and begin to rebuild the country. He was there eight weeks when this last unrest turned into war, and he was run right back out of the country. After starting his home and planting his garden, he got the garden planted, the farm, and then the war started up again. So he's in uh, Kampala, Uganda, and he has a deep hunger to be back in South Sudan among the people so that he can plant a church in Juba. Now, of all the places in South Sudan that I would want to minister, Juba is like last on my list. Even when there was not war, when I was in Juba, I was eyes wide open because there was evil in that place. And there was a lot of violence in the area, but Bulin's heart is for his people. And that's the capital of their country, and he believes that God can make a difference with people there planted in those most risky places, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, bringing light into the darkness. So pray for those guys because they're still there. My purpose to go to Zimbabwe was to get them deposited in the country because like Juma had never been in a plane. I invited him to fly with me one time in a bush plane and a single prop plane, and his eyes were as big as saucers as he was you know, a thousand feet or more up in the air. Uh, maybe he, he got to about 7,500 feet or so. Uh, but anyway, it was an amazing thing for him. Never been out of country, and yet now I'm inviting him to go with me to Zimbabwe. The reason why I wanted to go is because I wanted to deposit him there, getting him through the airports, getting him through customs and making connecting flights in Johannesburg and, and just getting him settled. Well, the government of Zimbabwe decided they didn't want to give him a visa. And we applied three different times. We made calls after calls after calls trying to get him in. And I'm just thinking, Lord, this is just not going to work. I don't know that if this is your providence or if this is the work of the enemy. But until you tell us to stop, we're going to keep pushing. Well, he actually got to come the day after we arrived in Zimbabwe, the two guys and myself. He actually got approval to come. Now I'm thinking, what in the world? This guy has never been in the airport, much less to navigate through the airport and get to the right connecting flights in Joburg. How in the world will he ever get there? He needed me to help him. And then the Holy Spirit said to me from the inside, because that's where he lives, Randy, do you think if I can take him through two wars in his country, I can get him through the airport? Okay, Lord, you're right. I have confidence and trust in you. And sure enough, he arrived about 1 a.m. He was going to room with me in a guest house, and uh, he was just filled with joy to be able to be in the country. Pray for them because this coming week is a very intensive week of training for them as they are going to be trainers to take these truths throughout their country. So I really pray for them. One old man that I met, I'll show you his picture one day maybe. His name is Martin. He's, uh, I say he's old. He's probably near 70, but that's very old in their country. And he looked at me, and as I was telling him, I was heading off to Zimbabwe to this national training center for farming uh, the way that God farms, called Foundation for Farming. And he said, hey, we are not lazy people, and we do not want handouts. We are hardworking people. If you get the knowledge, bring it to us, because we will apply the knowledge with our hard work, and God will be glorified. I said, Martin, you got my word. We will have trainers there. And God will be glorified. That's the kind of people we're, we're working with. 
that want to make an impact, want to use the strength and the ability that God has given them. They just need some direction and some knowledge. So uh, I'm encouraged by you, Meadowbrook, that you not just are part of missions and support missions, but you allow your pastor to preach in other countries. What a great opportunity that was to be able to do that. Now, with that in mind, obviously this is on my heart, so I need to kind of get some of this off, otherwise I'm going to drive Kay crazy. So um, let's talk about this for a moment. Our life and our purpose as people, followers of Jesus Christ. Our focus in our life and purpose must be the same as that of God. So what is God focused on? What is God purposeful about? And I want to mention three of them today because I think it will help us to be insightful to what God is looking to. First, God is looking to the least. God is looking to the last. And God is looking to the lost. If you want to know where the heart of God is, where He's moving towards, you can put it in those three words. He's moving towards the least, He's moving towards the last, and He's moving towards the lost. And because of that, you and I must have the same direction. Now that's very difficult in first country, first world country. It's sort of easy in a third world country because you don't have much. But in first world, it's very difficult because the culture keeps us wildly distracted. Yesterday, Kay and I were watching a little bit of football. And I was reckoning while I was watching this game, there was part of me that was excited because both teams did very well uh, that, that we pull for in our household. But at the same time, I'm disappointed because I know there are people that have already determined we'll choose the game over church. They'll choose not to come to church based on the outcome or the energy that they've expended at the game. Now, I'm not a Debbie Downer, but at the same time, I am acknowledging that we live in a culture that is very distracting and we have a difficult time getting our eyes on the same thing that God is looking at. Our culture is all about going more, being more, doing more, isn't it? It's all about having more. God's culture is upside down. He says you ought to give all that stuff away. It comes between me and you. You ought to quit being entertained so much and be more in in prayer. You ought to stop reading all that stuff and get into my word because then you'll be able to see as I see, hear as I hear, and have passion for what I have passion for. We live in a very difficult world and culture It tries desperately and it's very successful in keeping us from what God is inclined to be part of. So this is a message to help reset our vision, our life, our purpose. Towards the least, the last, and the lost. Now when I was a young boy, I heard that there was one question that is going to be asked of us when we approach God on the day of judgment. And it was God saying to me and to you and to every person of all time, why do you think I ought to let you into my heaven? Now, I've been a student of the Bible most of my life, and I have searched the Scripture. I've read them through cover to cover a number of times, studied almost every book in the Bible in detail, and I've never, ever seen that God is going to ask that kind of question. That put such fear in me as a kid that I began to rehearse the way I was going to respond to God when He asked me that question. When God asks me of this question, I'm going to be ready, and I want it to just roll off my tongue. 
I trusted in Jesus, your son. He's the reason why you ought to let me in heaven. And that's a good response. And that is a biblical response. But God is not going to ask me that question. And I will not be given an opportunity to respond with those words. It's not about you or me coming to understand that Jesus is the Savior, inviting Him, as we say, into our heart, being baptized in the waters, and trying to live a good life the rest of your days. That is not the gospel. If that's the gospel, I fall immeasurably short of being able to do that. Instead, God's going to give a litmus test. It's not going to be by words. God is going to give a test, and the test will be our life. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, in the 25th chapter, verse 31 and following, this is the way it works out. This is the way we'll approach God on that day. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne, and before Him will be gathered all the nations. That's a beautiful sight, isn't it? All the people of all time, of all nations and all languages are going to come and gather before him and he's rightfully sitting on his throne. And there he is in all of his glory. And then here's the test. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So you can get him. He's putting some on one side and some on the other as a shepherd would put the sheep on one side and the goats on the other. And he will place the sheep on his right but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Come on, enter in. God has provided this for you. Long before the world was put into order, it was provided for you. Come. Now here's the test. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me, naked, and you did not clothe me, sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. That line, the Spirit just prompted me, that line about a stranger, and you did not welcome me, that line relative to the refugees that God is moving throughout the countries ought to make a difference the way we think about them. Lord, they said, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked and sick or in prison and did not minister you? And then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, my brothers, to the least of these, you did not do it unto me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Jesus is for the least. 
His eyes are there and His body is to be there. His people are to be there. That our purpose in our life would be moving towards the least. Now that is so anti-culture to the American way. In the American way, we promote the foremost. We promote the strongest, the fame, the fortune. We push out the least and we gather up the strong and the popular. Why, nobody gets the magazine about people who are the least. Instead, you get a magazine about people who are the greatest and the most famous and the most wealthy. And you want to know everything about them. Nobody subscribes to a magazine that has only those people on the fringe. Our culture causes us to be clouded to the eyesight of God. God is not looking to the rich and the famous. God is looking to the least and the vulnerable and the unknown. And if you're going to be the body of Christ, if you're going to be part of His kingdom, He says in the end, those who have righteousness live righteously and they live for the purpose and the way of Jesus and He moves to the least. You've got an opportunity. There are international students living in our community and Meadowbrook wants to embrace them by hosting them in our home. Do you know one of the greatest Opportunities that most international students long for is just to have a meal inside an American home. To just have conversation. To see what it's like. And the majority of them go home after a year or two having never done that. We're pushing to the least. We're going to them. And we're inviting them into our homes. And we'll cook. And we'll provide in a way that will not be offensive to them. No matter their religion. No matter their culture. We're going to do that so that we can move towards the least. Jesus is for the least. His heart is given to them. When he enters into a region, when he was here on earth, he didn't go to the greatest halls. He didn't go to the throne rooms. He went to the least. He went to the lame, the poor, the blind. He went to the adulterers. He went to the prostitutes. He went to the tax collectors and he dined with them. It's what got him crucified, but he was for the least. And in the end, he says he knows his own people because they do what he does. He knows people who are part of his kingdom because they do kingdom things like move towards the least. Because we're surrendered to Jesus, we have that same focus. Our heart is for the least of these. We're given to them. This morning when you came to church and maybe you had something to eat while you're here, maybe you had something later or you're going to have a big meal at lunch, you need to understand that 19,000 children are going to die today. They're going to die from hunger and other causes that can be preventable. And tomorrow when you wake up into your routine and you go to work or school or whatever it is that you do on a regular basis, you're going to be sights on Things that do not matter in comparison to 19,000 children are going to die tomorrow too from causes that could be preventable. And while we're looking at things on TV that matter nothing to the kingdom of God and while we read things that matter nothing to the kingdom of God and while we're focused on this culture, Jesus is focused on the least of these and if you don't incline yourself to that focus, I would say you have every reason to question whether you're in the kingdom of God. Now, that is a non-typical message in the Western church. 
The typical message in the Western church today is God wants you to have more, to be more, and to go more, and to do more with great blessings and prosperity and health. And I can tell you that that is not God's inclination. God wants you to go for the least, to engage them, to make a difference in their life. That's what Jesus came to do. Yeah, Africa is one of those amazing cultures and amazing lands. The continent itself is named the most resourceful continent in all the world. Why, when you think of the diamonds and the gold that you wear, most of them come out of Africa. When you think about the minerals and the resources that are available to the world, most of them come from Africa. When you talk about the breadbasket of the world, Africa could be that. But instead, it's the most impoverished of all the continents. And so Meadowbrook chooses to go to those places where the least of these are, where people are hungry and children are dying and the elderly are very vulnerable. It's not just that we go into those places around the world. It's not just Africa, but in other places we should continue. Okay, where do I start? How do I get into the focus of God? And how do I move my life purpose to be the purposes of God? So that I might demonstrate this life of a sheep under the good shepherd Jesus. Well, I would start this way, by surrendering yourself fully to God. Lord, I surrender to you. I yield my will to your will. I yield to your ways. Lord, I'm easily distracted in the culture and I live in the first world. But please, I surrender to you. And then begin to pray for spiritual sight. That you would see the plight of others as God sees them. Don't look with a judgmentalness to the outer appearance of mankind. But see with spiritual eyes as God does. See into the lives of people and then prayerfully surrender your will to the Heavenly Father by tangibly serving the poor, those who are the least and the vulnerable. Develop in yourself this way of expressing God's glorious living for them. God has made each person to be a productive, cultivating manager of resources. You remember when Adam was placed on the earth, he was first given the opportunity to manage the garden. God created it all. He planted it all, and it was doing well. And he said to Adam, now you take care of it. I'm going to bring all the animals before you. You name them, and you're to work and cultivate. Work is not a a result of the sin. Work is part of God's eternal plan for mankind, that we would be productive. Now, the least of these have lost that. Many of the least of them have forgotten what God has instilled in them, a a real work ethic so that they could do their work under the glory of God, that they could join God in, in bringing some redemption to this world, that they could plant their field and bring in a harvest and give God glory for it because it's done with goodness, without waste, and with joy, and with, with real distinction. Meadowbrook has its eyes set on people who are the least so that we can encourage those kind of truths into their lives. So pray that God would give you spiritual eyes. And then give. Give to Meadowbrook and invest in ministries that focus on developing people. When I was in Foundation for Farming, I was intrigued by this group of 75 people. There were actually 150 in the total group. 75 were coming the week I was there and another 75 the week coming. 
I look like any other African that I've been around in trainings. These were Zimbabweans. But what's distinct about these is every one of them is HIV positive and some of them have full-blown AIDS. I don't know of any group that would be counted more of the least than them. Pushed out to the fringes of society like nobody else. They are the lepers of our generation. And yet here they are in training sessions for the week. Learning how to be productive cultivators unto the glory of God. They're doing so because the funding is running out for the NGOs, the non-government organizations who normally feed them. So no more handouts. God didn't create them to be dependent on handouts. They're being taught how to cultivate and manage on the land so that they can receive what they need and give God glory for it. Pray for them next week. There's a whole other group coming, and I pray that they would have the glorious truth. What's amazing about this place is not only do they get the physical training, but the overwhelming majority of them who come in come to know Jesus personally, and they're baptized before they leave because they've surrendered themselves totally to him and his kingdom. So when you give, that kind of thing goes on. We make investments in places and people and trainings like that. Be involved in open hands and way of the cross and other ministries that really support the least in our communities. Plan to join us on the mission field as we focus on the world's least. We go to the places where the least are located. We don't go into places that have the same prominence of of, uh, money as the United States. We want to go to the places where the least are because God goes there in Jesus Christ. So your eyes must be like that of the eyes of Jesus and go into the places where the least are gathered. By praying and by sending and by going, you can make a difference by joining the heart of Jesus to the least of these. But he focuses also on the last. There's an amazing story in Luke chapter 14 where Jesus is telling a parable so that a truth might be understood And in this parable, he's talking about a man who hosts a banquet. And he sends one of his servants out to deliver the invitations to various people that he wanted to come. And they were the popular, the famous, the the well-known. And uh, they started giving a peppering of excuses why they couldn't come to the banquet. Maybe you remember the, the narrative. So the master says to his servant, now you go back out. And this time I want you to go to the poor, the lame, and the blind. And I want there to be people to come to this banquet. So he goes out and he invites those who are the least and the the, uh, last. And they begin to gather. And the servant goes to the master and he says to the master, Hey, I have gathered them in as you have required of me, but there's still some room. And he says, Listen, go to the highways and the byways and you compel them to come. The lame, the blind, Those who would be pushed away, you compel them to come. Because catch this, I want my house to be filled. Now we're beginning to see another part of the heart of God. That God wants to bring the last in to be the first. It's an upside down kingdom, isn't it? The first is usually first. By the way, I like to be first. I have a competitive spirit. I like to be first. I don't want to be second. I don't want to be third. I don't want silver or bronze. I want gold. I've been like that all my life. 
Maybe you're like that. That can be tempered by the Holy Spirit, and I pray that He is continuing to do that. In our culture, first is not just best. First is the only thing you shoot for. But in the kingdom of God that's upside down, he says, no, the first are going to be last, and the last are going to be first. Man, God just thinks radically different from us, don't we? Doesn't he? We just don't think like he thinks. So we have to ask him, Lord, let your mind be my mind. Your thoughts be my thoughts. Your way, my way. Your will, my will. Because if you don't, God, I'll miss it altogether. And then Matthew 19, 30 says, Many who are first will be last, and the last are going to be first. So God has his eyes and his focus and his ministry to the least. He's compelling for the last to come forth. And for some reason, he has called us in this century to be the ones to call in the last. Now, I don't know why in his providential knowledge he has chosen to do this because of all the people that seem to not be geared towards the things of God, why would he choose us to be the ones to call the last in? Because we're not doing too good at this. But God is perfect in his plan. And God is still seeking for his church to go out to where the last is and call them into his kingdom that his house may be full. Where's the last but the 1040 window? It's the longitude and latitude of that area of the Middle East and across the band of the globe where the most prominent lostness is. Where the Islamics and the Buddhists and the Hindus and the non-believers are there. And they desperately need the church to go to them to call the last to be the first. You say, well, Randy, that's pretty risky. Yeah, that's kingdom living. Well, I don't know if it's safe. I know, that's kingdom living. I don't know where along the way we lost focus. But if you read the New Testament, it's not a safe place to be. You read the New Testament and it's not a comfortable place to be. You read the New Testament and people are martyred. People are killed. People are imprisoned. And Jesus says, you go. Well, I don't know. If I go, I may not come back. Well, to live is for the glory of God. To die is for the glory of God when you're walking in obedience. Well, I don't know that he would want me to do that. Oh, it's not a matter. Does he want you to do that? He's already commissioned to do it. The question is, will you be obedient to it? The least and the last. Don't let our culture rob you from the eternal rewards that God desperately wants to give you for your obedience to the least and the last. And then one more, the lost. I like Luke's gospel. I love the time that I preached through that. It took us a good while to do it. But in the 15th chapter, there's a section of stories that talk about the lost. And they're all stories that help us to get God's perspective on the lost, what his, his heart is to them. The first story is about a shepherd who has sheep. He has a hundred of them, and he recognizes that one out of the hundred is missing. And you'd probably say, well, cut your loss. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he leaves the 99, and he goes out to find the lost sheep. And he has to go a good ways, evidently, because when he finds him, he is so celebratory. He picks up that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, and he carries it with joy, celebrating all the way back to the fold. And he puts that one lost sheep amongst the hundred, and now he is rejoicing that the one loss is now found. 
Then he tells a story about a woman who has lost a coin, and evidently she's not very well off because she turns the house upside down to sweep for the coin. And when she finally finds it, she goes out to all the neighbors and she invites them to a grand party because she found that coin that was lost. And the last is about a lost son who ventured away from the father's life and home and he goes out and begins to live in the opposition to the way the father has raised him to live and he's living a sinful life and it's a miserable life in the end. And when he finally recognizes, if I could just go back home and be my father's servant, it would be better than where I am. All the while, he had no idea that the father every day would go out to the fields and look for the coming of his son. He had no idea that when he would cross over the brow that the father would run to him and he would put a robe around him, put the family ring back on his hand and invite him to come in, kill the calf and let's have a party of parties. And all the while, here's what God wants to do. He wants us to tell this great joy of a sinner who repents and comes into the fold, a coin who is found to rejoice like that of the angels who rejoices over a sinner who repents, and a son who finds it to be fitting for a father to give great celebration because the son was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and now he's found. Those stories are helpful for us to understand where God is. God is for the lost. And he celebrates when the lost come to him. Well, let me ask you a question. How is your life engaged to the least, the last, and the lost? Because in the end, when you come before Jesus and he's judging the righteous and the unrighteous, the sheep and the goats, he won't be asking for your answer. He'll be looking at your life and he'll be making separation. Did you have focus and purposefulness to the least, the last, and the lost? And if so, it's evidence that you live in the kingdom of God and the righteousness of Christ is dwelling within you. If not... You'll be separated and you'll be cast into the hell that was made for the devil and his angels, separated from God for all eternity because you chose to live your life your way rather than yield your life and surrender to God's way. There's the conclusion. Don't be caught up in this culture, church. You just may miss the kingdom of God if you do. The answer is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. It's all about the redemption that is available in Jesus Christ. And he's choosing to redeem both heaven and earth. He does it writing people's relationship with God by making us to be born again from above. Not born of the flesh, but born from above. Taking away our sin and depositing in, in, into us the righteousness. Declaring us holy before God to be in right relationship with Him. He does it by... Giving us our identity. We were once created in the image of God. It had always been created in the image of God, but we walked away from that. So the Lord has made it by the work of the cross and redemption that the old things would pass away. Behold, all things could come new by our faith in Him so that we can be in right relationship with ourselves again and with others. He pours His love into our heart that we might love the unloving, forgive the one who doesn't ask for forgiveness, all because of the work of redemption that Christ has done, reconciling us in Christ. And then with creation. I wasn't planning to speak at the foundation there in Zimbabwe. In fact, I wasn't even asked. 
For the first few days that I was there, the first two days I was there, there was a forum. And it was their international leaders who had come together to meet. And they invited me to come and sit in, thinking probably that I would be able to discover what God is doing around the world through this ministry. And I sat with great intrigue and was listening. The night before the last of the forum, Moses, who was with me, said, Hey, what you, you're going to share tomorrow, right? I said, No, I don't know anything about that. He said, Well, look, I took a picture of the agenda that I found pasted to the window, and it has your name on there. <laughs> like, okay, I guess I'm speaking. All right, the first day I'm sitting there, I'm listening to these people, and the Spirit of God spoke to me from the inside, and He said, When they ask you to speak, this is what I want you to share. And it was this illustration it's all the gospel. Christ reconciling us to himself in relationship to God, self, others, and creation. And so they asked me to come and share what Meadowbrook is doing around the world and give insight to that. I said, really, I believe that I'm supposed to be responsive to the Holy Spirit. And here's, here's what he told me to share. And I shared the fullness of the gospel. And I said this to them. I'm so grateful for your work. And so amazed by how God is using you to bring productivity to this land and people who are hungry to be fed and to have income. But your call is not to bring produce to the land. Your call is to bring glory to Jesus. And unless people walk away from your fields having a greater understanding of the glory of God, you'll fail. Christ is redeeming the world to himself in relationship to God, self, others, and creation. You've helped me to discover more of the fourth one. But I've come to help you to discover the first three. So together we rejoice in what God was sharing with us. I walk away with a greater understanding that God is moving in reconciliation ways to redeem this world to himself through Christ Jesus. And every time we bring some productivity and some harvest out of this ground that's been cursed to work in opposition to us, every time we do so, it reminds us of the glorious day when Jesus is going to recreate this world and the heavens that we see in the sky, and he's going to do it without the tarnishment of sin and without the infection of sin, and it will be perfect. And every time we bring in a harvest, whether it's in Zimbabwe or South Sudan or Uganda, or in Gadsden, Alabama, every harvest we bring in ought to bring praise to the glory of Jesus because for just this moment, he's allowed us to join him in his redeeming work. So plant your flowers and tend them and give God glory for it. Plant your gardens and bring in the produce and give God glory for it because he allowed you to join him in his work of redemption. Make the world beautiful. Not so that you can post it on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat with your selfies, but post it to the glory of Jesus. Because just for that moment, he's allowed you to join him in his reconciliation work. This is our focus. The least, the last, and the lost. Help us, Lord, because our culture is so anti that us to live with eyes wide open in your kingdom, to see as you see and to hear as you hear and to go where you go. We pray that you would allow us the opportunity to do so, so that when we walk in those experiences, we'll give you great glory. This we pray in the name of Jesus.